0: Hey, Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, Uh I'm Pastor Dustin Jernigan, and I am so thrilled uh, that we have a new guest with us on our Wednesday night Bible study. So uh, if you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, uh, we had my lovely wife, Caroline, uh, a few weeks ago, and then we had Pastor Richard Evans with me the last two weeks. And this week, we have a very special guest, the newest member of the staff here at Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. We have the one and only TJ Todd.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, it's nice to be here. I've enjoyed working here for the last couple months. Uh, I came on the, has
0: it been months?
1: It has been months. It's been like two months. So pretty much exactly when the COVID-19 crisis struck, uh, I came on staff the Thursday before that happened. Man, if that's
0: not a sign of God's providence, then I I don't know what is. Um, So TJ, you are our new communications and tech director. Uh, Do you mind just telling us what that job means for people who maybe haven't met you yet and haven't seen what the church is like these days?
1: Yeah, so um, a lot of what I end up doing is, uh, like Dustin said, communications and technology. So right now, uh, as I'm sure a lot of you have experienced There's a lot of technology revolving around how we communicate with each other. And we as a church are kind of uniquely poised to be able to put out things like even this live stream to you. And so I've been focusing on tasks like that um, in terms of our media production and making sure that everyone can connect with our church through the Internet and through the technology that's available to us as well as some of the, you know, smaller things, logos for our emails and making sure that uh, our website is kept up to date and the calendars and, and a lot of the, the other media contacts that we have for uh, our church members are kept up to date and, and looking good. So,
0: Yeah, uh, we were joking about it this past week, but, you know, your job description when we hired you, <laughs> it said something about, like, explore live stream options it was like half a (laughs) sentence on one of the things that we were asking you to do and uh you know on your job description are things like the website the social media accounts um updating our online giving stuff uh developing an app for our church and yeah exploring live streaming stuff uh so with that um you know, uh, we were just amazed at your resume and so thankful that you were considering us. But, you know, tell us a little bit more about your, you know, tech background. What made you want to go into this field?
1: Yeah, so I I was uniquely kind of equipped to come to this job. Um, I've been working in media for the last 10 years, uh, mostly as a graphic and web designer. Um, but... Recently, I graduated from SOU with a degree in emerging media and digital art. And so that lends itself to a lot of things like podcasts and uh, web design and streaming. Uh, On top of that, uh, before that, I went to Biola University uh, for several years where I got a degree in Bible history, uh, Old Testament history and literature. So... uh, you know, I, I have a passion for, for serving Christ and, and storytelling. And as I came on here, I, I told the staff that, you know, there's no greater story than the one of uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this, to me, is, is kind of like a dream come true uh, But on top of that, I've, I've worked for youth with youth for, for years. I've been able to, um, serve with youth for Christ here in the Valley, as well as, um, I worked at roller odyssey. If any of you remember (laughs) the old roller rink, I, I was able to, to help out and do some stuff there. Uh, so, and then, uh, more recently, I, I worked with the Boys and Girls Club in Corvallis and I was uh, the middle school coordinator there. So I had about 90 kids every day that I was like the after school principal for. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really have a heart for for sharing God's story and also uh, serving people with the, the skills and the tools that he's uh, gifted me with. So,
0: Man, we're pumped. And you guys just had another baby. Oh, right? yeah.
1: So. So, along with Pastor Dustin, who, who just had a new baby, my wife and I uh, welcomed our second child into the world, uh, Larson Octavia Todd, um, and that happened last month on the 18th. So, we're, we're coming up on, she's almost a month old now. So it's-
0: I'm impressed you have a frame of reference for how long it's been in time. I feel like. I didn't even know it was Wednesday until I realized it was time for the Bible study tonight. Yeah. You know, I've, I've lost all frame of reference for days. And uh, But hey, so um, uh, since you have a background in the Old Testament, and I'm really missing the Old Testament. I love preaching through John, and I like that we're going through the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. But I miss the Old Testament. I can't wait to dive back in. And so with that, I'm going to scratch that itch a little bit with tonight's edition of Trivia. It's going to be all about... The Old Testament Trivia. So um, we've got some great books to give away. This is one of my favorite uh, short little books. And I actually have three copies. So three people can win. And uh, if you get one of the right... Uh, answers and you type it out there. Maybe we'll send you one of these three. Uh, So if you're on YouTube right now, take an opportunity and type out the right answer to some of these trivia questions. And if you're one of the lucky three, we're going to send you one of these books in the mail, or you can come by the church office and pick it up. Uh, It's a book called Found God's Will by John MacArthur. And you could probably read it in about 30 minutes. It's a great short little book. And a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight can be found right here in this book. Uh, so with that, let's, uh, let's give away some trivia and remember, take the time, write the answers. Let's see who knows uh, their Old Testament. Well, all, all right. right, so. Wait, can I Google these before we start?
1: Because <laughs> I, I have to be honest with you. I recently had a child, like we said, and, <laughs> and since having children, my memory has just been depleted by uh, remembering to buckle in my kids <laughs> and yeah. put them to sleep. And things like that. So, I may be a little fuzzy on some of the Old Testament history and literature. So, you may need to give me a little extra time to answer these.
0: Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind. We'll we'll take it easy on you. And uh, all right. So, um, let's start off with with this one. So, uh, which one of these books is not a book in the Bible? You can't cheat. Don't look at your table of contents. But, which one of these books is not a book in the Bible? Is it Jonah, Joel, Hezekiah, or Amos. Which one of those books is not actually a book in the Bible? Is it Jonah, Joel, Hezekiah, or Amos? Which one do you think it is?
1: One second. I, so I learned the books of the Bible through a song, so I got to go <laughs> yeah. through the song. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus Numbers, Me. Hezekiah.
0: Oh man, you are absolutely right. It is Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a dude in the Bible, did not have a book named after him. I'm amazed at how many people uh, to that question will say Jonah, Jonah. you know, Jonah. Jonah. There's no, it's like Jonah and the whale. You know, did people write Jonah? Oh, I love you. It's okay. Classic mistake. All right. Number two, here we go. All right. Um, uh, Jesus's name in Hebrew. Uh, If you lived in, you know, Israel 2,000 years ago, and you said Jesus, you know, no one would say it like that phonetically. Uh, They would have pronounced it Yeshua. So what book of the Old Testament shares the name of Jesus, which in Hebrew was Yeshua? So what book of the Bible is also named after the name Yeshua?
1: So... I was actually talking to Pastor Richard about this the other day. But (laughs) on the NES console, the Nintendo Entertainment System for uh, you teenagers that are watching, that was like the original Nintendo, there were these Bible games uh, made by a company called Life Tree, And one of the games was like my favorite game to play. It was called Joshua. And you had to march around like this little city. (laughs) Um... And at the end of every level, it said, good job, Joshua. Um, So the book is Joshua. Oh, I like that. Yeah, good job. Yeah, it is. It is
0: Joshua. So yeah, so the the name Joshua and the name Jesus, they're both based on the same Hebrew name, Yeshua, which means God saves. Um, Yahweh Shua. Yahweh saves. All right. um, Okay, so this is out of the story of Genesis. When God wrestles Jacob, he gives him a new name. What is that name that Jacob is given after he wrestles with God says, I'm going to name you no longer, Jacob, your name shall be. It's going to be Israel. That's right. Israel. He who wrestles with God. Right. Yeah. Israel. All right. Um, All right. Last one. Okay. Uh, So hopefully you can write this down. Um, Write these as quickly as you can. All right. Last question. Um, How many. Of each kind of animal did Moses take with him on the ark? Okay, the ark. So there's like the eight people.
1: Yeah, they're eight they people. they count uh-huh. as the people? No, they don't. Animal. No. They're... And then like each the kind the of two, animal two, on the and then, ark. And then the seven, and then um, Dustin. Moses didn't take anyone
0: on an ark. <laughs> that's right, that's right. If you listen carefully, the question was not how many of each kind of animal did Noah take, it was actually Moses. So in fact, the answer is zero because Moses didn't take any animals on the ark. That was all Noah's work. So, uh, you know, some people think they're being clever <laughs> if they say seven of certain kind and oh. two of other kind. But anyway, trick question, sorry about that. Um, and then this is just a free one. You know, maybe somebody knows who is the uh, shortest shortest man in the Bible.
1: Oh, man, it wasn't Zacchaeus, was
0: it? Well, a lot of people think it was Zacchaeus, uh, but it was actually, uh, well, Another people would say that it was Nehemiah, but it was actually <laughs> Bildad the Shuhite. Uh, Bildad the Shuhite. You're you're a new dad, right? You got to work on these dad jokes, right? So anyway, well, hopefully you got some of those right answers. Excited about giving uh, you a copy of Found by uh, John MacArthur. And then, um, you know, thinking of Youth for Christ, you know, I can't help but promote my lovely Youth 71.5 Ministries coffee mug. So big shout out to Deanna and Bud. Thank you so much for uh, all your work with teenagers here in the Valley. So drinking proudly out of my coffee mug this evening. Uh, But with that, hey, let's dive right into our Bible study tonight. So we're picking up uh, on the Lord's Prayer, and we're into that section where, you know, you can grab this Bible. Uh, Jesus uh, says, um, you know, we're we're praying, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. So we talked all about the kingdom of God last week. And now we're into um, one of my favorite things that we are taught to pray, which is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so... um, you know, when we talk about your will being done, I think an appropriate way to start that would be, let's pray roll fast that God's yeah. will would be done right here in this Bible study. Let's pray. Now, Lord, uh, we thank you for everybody who uh, is joining us right now in this Bible study. And Father, I pray that your will would be done in their life and in their marriages and in their workplaces and in their extended families and in their living rooms and the way that they speak to each other. Uh, Lord, would your will be done here in the Rogue Valley as your will is done in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we we jump into this idea about, you know, uh, praying for God's will to be done, um, I'll never forget something my main mentor taught me. uh, Pastor Richard White um, was uh, talking to us at some point years ago, and uh, he said, you know, uh, we worked on a college campus and he said, you know, all the time, these people, you know, college students are coming to me and they're saying, you know, what is, what is God's will for my life? If only God would like reveal his will for my life, you know, where I'm supposed to go to college or who I'm supposed to marry or what kind of career am I supposed to have or, um, you know, how much should I, you know, put in retirement or, you know, what kind of house should I buy? You know, and um, what the pastor pushed back on is he said, you know, the problem with that is... That's, you know, you're believing that God has sort of hidden his will, and it's impossible to figure out, um, when in reality, um, God's will is explicitly stated all throughout Scripture. God tells us explicitly what his will is. And so uh, he suggested, instead of asking the question, um, you know, what is God's will for my life? He said, ask yourself, how am I giving my life to God's will? And he said, so what is God's will for this world? And, you know, you can start going right through scripture and you can find out pretty easily what God's will is. You know, First Timothy 2 says God desires that all men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, right? So part of God's will is like fundamentally, right, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, his son. And so that's a big chunk of, you know, when we pray your will be done. Um, we should be praying not just for ourselves, but more and more people to come to faith in Jesus, right? Um, you know, if you could go to Romans chapter 12, uh, the other thing I, I think that's helpful when you look at, um, you know, God's will and how you think about it, if you're in Romans chapter 12, um, I preached on this passage a few weeks ago in a sermon called Going Rogue, uh, if y'all remember that. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned uh, Romans 12 a lot in that passage, and um, in Romans 12 verse 2, uh, you want to read Romans twelve two out loud?
1: Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.
0: Yeah, Uh, what I love about Romans 12.2 right there is, He says, you can know what God's will is, right? That's the whole point of the command is, yeah, we're supposed to test things. We're supposed to be discerning, uh, but it's not like God has hidden his will and we're never going to figure it out. Um, Instead, what he seems to say is you can find God's will.
1: Certainly. I think that the scripture is very clear in that it tells us that we can pray for that discerning wisdom and because we do have the Holy Spirit. Um, since the ascension that we are now able to understand what God's will is for our lives.
0: Yeah. And so um, what I'm going to suggest is you can know exactly what God's will for your life is, so to speak. Um, It's going to be different than maybe what you're thinking I'm going to say. I'm not going to try to predict, you know, what pair of shoes you need to buy next, but that's not really how scripture is going to talk about God's will. Um, You know, I would say you know, at the very minimal God's will, you know, God's command is that we believe in Jesus and we confess him as Lord, right? You know, that's it's pretty simple to acknowledge that that's God's will. But, um, you know, if you go to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, um, I think this is a really, really critical book in terms of knowing how to live the Christian life. Uh, because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, Paul tells us exactly what God's will is. And so this is going to shape the way that we pray um, your will be done. Well, what is your will for my life? Well, you know, if you think it's hidden, you're never really going to figure that out. But if you read scripture and you see what God's word said, it's actually starting to become really clear. So um, why don't you start in, I don't know, start in verse 16. Can you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, 16 through 18? All right.
1: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God (laughs) in Christ Jesus for you.
0: Isn't it helpful when God's word says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you're like, well, what's God's will? It's like, well, Paul says it explicitly. This is what he wants you to do. So what are those things that Paul's listing in that sentence, right? Well, the first one is rejoice always. Right. (laughs) Constant state of
1: rejoicing.
0: But he didn't mean that right now, did he? Like not during suffering and coronavirus. (laughs) That's not what it means. All right. That's hyperbole.
1: No, no. Certainly he meant it (laughs) even now because we should always be rejoicing in the fact that Jesus came as the living sacrifice mm. and, and, you know, conquered death for us on our behalf. And, you know, I think no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you are focused on, ultimately that truth is still true to us and mm. that we should be rejoicing in that in of every moment of every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're, yeah, I was being facetious, obviously. Right. Um, you know, if you're wondering what God's will for you is right now, and maybe you've been stuck at home for 50 days or however long it's been, um, or maybe you're unsure about the future like almost everybody is, you know, it's hard to know, well, what's God's will? Well, God's word tells you right there in 1 Thessalonians that uh, you and I were supposed to rejoice always, um, even in the face, uh, face of the virus and the struggles and the uncertainty that part of our triumph over this world and over the powers of Satan and evil is that we will rejoice no matter what, you know, and it's, it's like that prayer of Job, right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, regardless of what we're facing, we are going to be rejoicing as God's people. Um, so that's the first step. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, you need to be rejoicing, even if you're not in the place that you want to be or your career is not in the place that you want it to be. Um, I think the Lord's will for you is to be thankful for what you have and to re- be rejoicing in light of the gospel. And I mean, Paul did not have an easy life. Uh, you know, Paul was beaten multiple times, he was rejected, people ridiculed him. And he is the one saying, rejoice, right? He's not a <laughs> prosperity preacher with a bunch of money, you know, typing this from his jet airplane, right? This is a guy who went to prison multiple times and he's saying, look, if I can do this, you can do it as well. Uh, but the second thing he says that is part of God's will is also really critical, which is that we are to pray without ceasing. And uh, so let's talk about that because, you know, I mean, this whole Bible study is to be shaping our prayer life, you know. Um, I'm curious, do you think that that means we're literally supposed to never stop praying? Is that what he means by pray without ceasing?
1: you know this is this is one of those things that I feel that I personally struggle with a lot of times. Uh, my wife Bailey, is really good at this mm. uh, she's she has the whole pray without ceasing thing down in my opinion, and she would probably tell you otherwise, but you know <laughs> compare comparatively not that we should be comparing. Each other, however, like it is one of those things that, like, to pray without ceasing. No, I don't think that it is like a, a 24. But I do think that it should be one of those things that we practice and that we're doing throughout the day, like this constant conversation with God, because. He is a relational God and we, we should have a relationship with him. And so being able to be connected with him 24 seven, I think is, is more the heart of this mm. passage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, when I, when I hear that, um, <clears throat> and I, I feel the same way too, you know, i I mentioned before in weeks past that, you know, prayer doesn't always come naturally to me, but you know, when I hear pray without ceasing, um, I, I know some Christians who put a lot of pressure on themselves to be, like, constantly praying. Like, literally every minute of every day they should be praying. And, um, or some people will, like, morph it into some sort of, like, awareness of God at all times. Um, you know, that may be what Paul's talking about. But honestly, when I, when I hear him say, pray without ceasing, um, to me I think that means, like, you don't give up. Like, prayer's hard. But, like, if you do it morning, noon, and night, like, don't go, like, a week without praying you know, like keep chugging and plugging along at it, you know, don't stop, Um, you know, don't look for like a feeling every time you've got to pray, right? Mm. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, um, you know, like we we kiss our wives in the morning, and sometimes it's like great, and then sometimes you do it because you love your wife, and you're just trying to communicate to her, right? I don't think, you know, everything can be like a steak dinner, right? Sometimes you need a turkey sandwich, right? And I think when it comes to our prayer life, you know, um, I see the, the pray without ceasing as, you know, do it every day. Um, if it, if it, you know, it's like this incredible, you know, devotional time. Great. That's amazing for you. But for some of us that doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean that God's not working in us, that we're not connecting with him. You know, it's, it's praying, um, you know, consistently. And that's what I love about the Lord's prayer and why I've pushed so much on praying at morning, noon and night, because even if you don't feel like you're good at praying, just praying the Lord's Prayer three times a day allows you to pray without ceasing.
1: You know, I, I'm a graphic artist, and so um, that that kind of rings true for me in terms of my skill in art. Hmm. Uh, like I said, I, I worked with middle schoolers for a while, and, you know, I would sit down and draw them pictures, and they'd be like, wow, it's amazing, how do you do that? And I was just like, I practiced. Hmm. Like, I, I sat down every day and drew. And, you know, I tried to express to those kids that wanted to, to gain that skill and wanted to be able mm. to, to create what's in their mind's eye and put it on paper. I told them that if you wait until inspiration hits you to sit down and draw, you will never get any better at, mm. at drawing. You will never get any closer to that goal that you have in mind. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think prayer is, is a lot like that and that if you don't sit down and practice prayer you like, or if you wait until you do, like you said, get that feeling of, of inspiration or that feeling of closeness with God, your relationship with God may not develop in the way that you have it in your mind's eye and, and the way that his mm-hmm. heart you know, wants to connect with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, hopefully that's helpful to you when you think about your prayer life. You know that, well, God's will is that you and I would rejoice always, even in the midst of this, right? That we would uh, pray without ceasing. We are going to be consistent in our prayer life. We're going to keep working at it. And then the last one he says, you know, if you, don't, if you didn't catch the all circumstances thing about <laughs> even now, he says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Um, so hopefully that's helping you to think, okay, well, what is God's will for me today? Or what is God's will from now until the time that I go to bed? Well, I would suggest to you that it includes prayer, and those prayers include thanksgivings and rejoicings in that prayer life. And, um, you know, the irony, of course, is if you actually start doing that, the direction of your life may actually change and go where it needs to go. Um, All right, so uh, this is the only time that uh, Paul talks about God's will. So if you flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 now, if if that wasn't specific enough, you know, like the praying without ceasing, that wasn't specific enough, uh, Paul does go on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and mention something else that is explicitly God's will for us. So if you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul says this uh, to the people in Thessalonica, He says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. There's that phrase. If you want to know God's will, well, this is it your sanctification. This is how you grow. You become more holy. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Uh, So, uh, you know, Paul says pretty explicitly right there in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, that part of God's will uh, for his people is that we would be sexually pure that we would uh, as he would say learn how to control our own bodies in holiness and uh, you know man does that <laughs> does that rub Americans the wrong way or what you know that god has rules on our sexuality but um you know if you think about it i mean it's so uh, i think it's such a touchy issue for people because that's such a you know a visceral part of life and who they are and God's word is pretty clear. God has rules on these things. And, um, you know, the. I think the way that culturally that I think about this is, um, I think if you look at like, not like individual people, but I think if you look at the way media or like just culture sort of. Depicts like you know sexuality. We would say um, you know as a culture that somebody who's really sexually free, that you know sleeps around a lot, that kind of person has like all of the freedom, and like that's like the impressive person, right? That's like the real man. Think about like James Bond, right? Yeah. Like who is the manliest man? You know, well it's James Bond. He gets all the ladies. Uh, but I mean, if you really think about that depiction, if if James Bond is like the truest male you can think of. Like, that is such an inversion of what humanity has thought about sexuality for so long. Um, you, know, um, you know, for most of human thought, and especially in the Bible, it's not the man who is controlled by his lust that is free. It's the man who actually controls his desires. Um, you know, the, the best depiction I can see of that kind of man, like the true man, uh, did you see Les Mis? Yeah. Les Miserables with yeah. Hugh Jackman? You know, where he's like, uh, prisoner 24601, your parole is up, you know, that yeah. you know, the, the musical. Uh, there's this incredible scene in that movie where I felt like it was the first time I had seen in a movie true biblical manhood. And what happens is, um, you know, Anne Hathaway, What do you know what her name is in the movie? Oh, gosh. Um, Fontaine. Yeah. Fontaine. Fontaine, you know, has to give over to a life of working, you know, um, as a woman of the night and... These men sort of keep coming, and they abuse her, and finally Jean Valjean, you know the man of grace, right, the man of grace, not the law, the man of grace, comes and instead of using her, he comes to her while she 's on the bed and he clothes her, and he actually lifts her up and he brings her to a new home, and he cares for her, he adopts her daughter, and he cares for her until she passes away from abuse and you know, It was like this, it, you couldn't see a starker contrast of some men saw her as something to be used and he saw her as something to be protected and honored. And uh, it was just, I was like, that's, Jean Valjean is the real man. Of yeah. all these other scumbags, like, that's a man who knows how to control his body.
1: Forget James Bond and the sex being yes. and the, um, and the yeah. you know, it's <laughs> protecting others and, and having that control. You know it's like who's in control in that su- situation yeah. is it james bond or is it jean valjean and i think that you'll find that jean valjean is in a place where he is in control of himself and, and mm. that, that that is glorifying
0: we um, should do an episode just on les oh, miserables I, w- I
1: would love to do a full les mis oh man uh, we should
0: totally do yeah. that Inspector Javert, yeah. all about the law. And, oh, man, uh, it's so good. So anyway, so I think, you know, when you think about, you know, the Bible's command, just be, you know, maybe keep that in the back of your mind. You know, is sexuality, you know, lust, are these urges something that I want to consume my life and take over? Or is it something that I'm meant to, you know, exercise control over? And what makes somebody, you know, truly a, a complete human? And, you know, we, Paul would say that being able to control your body, that's part of what it means to fulfill God's will. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of a personal one. Um, a couple more verses that we could kind of kick around. Uh, if you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, um, you know, one of my life goals is to preach through the book of Hebrews, um, but we'll dip in there uh, this evening. If you go to Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's verse 35. Uh, he goes on and he talks again about, you know, God's will. Uh, but this this one... This one isn't so fun. Uh, So if you read Hebrews chapter 10 and you look at verse 32 and following, the author of Hebrews says this, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened by the gospel, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. And really what the author of Hebrews is getting there, he's talking to specific people that I think he knew specifically what they had endured and um, all the hardships they had faced for following Christ. And basically what he says is, part of God's will for our life is that we would suffer. Um, so... Um, why is it that you think that preachers who stand up and say, hey, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy and never cry, why do you think they get so much attention? And then guys who stand up and say, this is God's will for your life, that you control your body, that you rejoice no matter what, and you suffer.
1: I think because the, the key to suffering is discomfort, right? Mm. Uh, in our lives as humans, any sort of discomfort, equates to suffering for us. Um, and so to be told that God requires of you that you experience suffering um, is uncomfortable. Just just <laughs> listening to that fact and and <laughs> hearing and knowing that it is the truth, I think, is uncomfortable for people. And I think that that, that ultimately leads people to... Um, to, to steer away from those things, right? Because anything in your life, that's uncomfortable. You know, if you got a sticker in your shoe and it's poking you, you bend over and you pick it out, you know, you you avoid the the discomfort um, by removing it. And I think that that's, that's a way that we as humans try to avoid the discomfort that is the truth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the irony of course about, you know, when I think about suffering or you know, when I think about the things you know that I've suffered or my family, and you know we haven't suffered nearly as much as other people, but when I contemplate suffering, I always think about um, this guy named Bob Burns, who did a Ph.D. in education at the University of Georgia, um, and Bob uh, studied the philosophy of education, and he basically he wanted to study how did people best learn, and so he studied people I think across every continent on the planet, and it was. Is it primary education? Is it secondary education? Is it internships? Is it the family situation? Is it college? What is actually the best educator of humanity, and it not, not just culturally? And uh, what do you think the best, edu- you, you see where I'm going?
1: Yeah, I think I, think I yeah. am seeing what's, what, what <laughs> yeah, the what's outcome coming. of this study was.
0: Yeah, it was, he found that the number one educator across all cultures, all people, was hardship Mm-hmm. hardship, was the best educator. And when he interviewed people and said, what actually changed your life? What taught you the most? Who? What, what has shaped you to become who you are? Almost always, it was born out of tragedy or suffering or difficulty. And it was the hardship. Hardship was like the black soil that the new growth plant could grow out of. You know, and I think, you know, with Christians, that's the irony that Jesus suffered for us. And Peter says he left us an example that we should suffer along with him. And, you know, Paul saw his sufferings as fulfilling the measure of sufferings in Christ. And, you know, the book of Hebrews tells us, hey, you're going to suffer. This is God's will. And yet I think we do know, I bet everybody listening to me is thinking (laughs) through all the hard stuff that they've had to go through and been like, yeah, that hard thing that I went to was awful, but it actually shaped and improved my life. And I'm so thankful I went through it. I don't want to do it again, but I learned so much about life and truth and the Lord and grace in the midst of that suffering. Um, So to me, that's the irony of, you know, being called to suffer is that, um, you know, it's difficult in the moment, but later on, it produces the fruit of righteousness. You know, we become better people. So I don't know. Does that resonate with you? That suffering oh, is oh, certainly. <laughs> and
1: I, I think in in broader strokes, culturally as well. You know, if I if you think back to the Great Depression and mm. and some of you know that was a really hard time for our nation. And yet, some of the best things actually came out of that in terms of what was changed and what growth happened out of that. Um, mm in terms of uh, even financially our banking and how all of that was changed to help protect people later on down the road and agriculturally people made a lot of different decisions in terms of how they conducted you know growth of crops and, and things like that and then also educationally i think mm. that our education system benefited by the great depression because mm. it shone a light that we really needed to increase mm how we were educating people. Literacy really increased during that time. People mm. were able to, to find jobs through the education system. It, it kind of overhauled that whole mm. system. So
0: um, so I think I see where you're going with this. So are you saying that it's possible that in the midst of our suffering through this virus, <laughs> that actually some really cool, amazing things may come out of this even I, right I now? I think
1: it's entirely possible. Um, whether that's you know new technologies um, mm-hmm. or new connections, you know I, I know that there are a lot of people that they had never been on a Zoom call in their life before this, but now it's like hey, this is how we can conduct business, mm-hmm. this is how we can communicate with each other. But then also, you know, I was at the grocery store and I, I brought my son with me the other day, and as we left, you know the cashier said stay healthy, and I was just like oh I wonder if that will stay around, I mm-hmm. wonder if that will become a new farewell here, uh, in the United States after all this is over. I wonder Mm. if he will grow up saying stay healthy to people (laughs) as they, they leave instead of, you know, goodbye or see you later Mm. have a nice day. It'll be stay healthy. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think these are all ways that, you know, I think should be shaping the way that you pray and how you pray. And, um, I think a lot of our prayer life can be really like anxious and worried, but, Remember, the Lord's Prayer says the Lord knows what you need before you ask him. And so our job is to pray that God's will would be done in our life, um, in our family, in our church, uh, in our community here in the Rogue Valley, in our country. And um, as we pray through that, you know, I think we have to understand that, you know, we're going to suffer that we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is why the Bible repeatedly tells us we're gonna suffer, so that when we're suffering, we're not thinking, oh, Lord, what are you doing? You know, you know, we don't spend half our prayer life questioning God, we say, well, no, God uses suffering uh, for good, and I'm somehow out of this, whatever we've experienced, God's gonna receive the glory, and I'm, that's part of why I'm gonna be able to give thanks right now and rejoice, and I'm gonna keep praying that every day, even if I don't see the end in sight, I'm gonna, you know, pray without ceasing, Certainly. Uh, all right, so the last thing that I'll say, um, you know, it'd be fun for you to go back and just search, you know, the will of God and see all the verses on it. The last verse, uh, this is in 1 Peter chapter 2, and um, I'm, I plan on preaching on 1 Peter, I think in November uh, later this year because of the election, and I just, 1 Peter is such an important book, I should probably preach it every four years, uh, because in 1 Peter, you know, Peter says these words uh, in verse 13, chapter 2. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And I want to focus in just, we could keep going, but I'm going to focus just on that verse 15 right there where he says, this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And uh, I, I love what he's saying there because part of, I think what it means for us to be believers is we're going to get flack. You know, we're going to, you know, as John MacArthur says, we're going to get flack. You know, uh, people aren't always going to like what we have to say. They're not going to like that Jesus is the only way to the Lord. Uh, but, you know, Part of what we're supposed to do is live in an honorable way. And Peter gets political. He says, honor the emperor, even if it's emperor near, honor the emperor. You know, honor the governors. Live in a way that no one has anything evil to say of you. For this is God's will that we are able to put people to silence um, who have something bad that they would want to say about us. So uh, anyway, uh, as we finish up, I just want to encourage you again, as you pray tonight, um, the Lord's Prayer, you know, be thinking God's will will is not hidden. It's actually very specific. It's all over the Bible. And, you know, if you're trying to find, you know, specifically, you know, what God wants you to do in all these areas of life, um, just consider this. If you actually gave thanks in all circumstances, you, you know, didn't malign our political leaders, but you lived in an honorable way and you prayed for them and you prayed without ceasing, And you didn't look at pornography and you didn't sleep around and you kept sexual uh, purity in your life, like Jean Valjean, right? Um, You would be, um, you may actually find yourself right in the heart of God's will for your life. And you may actually be doing exactly what the Lord wants you to do. Because as it turns out, you know, all of these things about God's will, I think they're more like guardrails on a road. And the road is pretty wide, you know. Yeah. You can be a, a communications person, you can be a pastor, you can be a teacher, you can be a retiree, and we're not all called to be the same thing. Um, you know, God's will is like guardrails, and there's a lot of freedom in the middle of that. Hmm. And so, um, you know, don't maybe don't put so much pressure on yourself to know exactly what, you know, you think you're supposed to know from God, and focus more on fulfilling His word, and you may actually find your anxiety level going down.
1: Yeah, certainly, and I think that you know God loves unity, not uniformity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we should be united in the will of God and orientated to that. You know, you've heard about these murder wasp, murder hornets, whatever (laughs) they are. So um, when I lived in Los Angeles, there was a a beehive on campus uh, there. And every night you could hear the bees buzzing in like it was an old hollowed out stump. And we would go out at night and I would be like, how come we don't see the bees? And one of my friends who was actually, he and his dad did beekeeping uh, up in Alaska. He said that bees don't fly at night is why. They all stay in the hive because Mm -hmm. they orientate themselves to the sun. And so if the sun's not out, they don't actually know which way is up, which way is down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we in our spiritual life orientate ourselves to the will of God, Instead of what our will is and how does that fit into what God wants of us, I think that that in the end is is going to help us in our prayer life mm-hmm. and it's going to help us continue to, to grow and and to not feel so burdened by this enormous will of God and what does He want from me
0: Oh, I love that i 'm going to steal that. I love that B analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hey, thank you so much for being here for our you know Wednesday night Bible study. I uh, hope you've been enjoying uh, seeing different staff people. Uh, Doug Hansen, our worship guy, just asked if he can be on it one week, so we'll probably have Doug come back next week, and then Pastor Richard will probably be back soon. Uh, but hey, uh, we are so thankful to spend this time with you. Let's pray. And uh, TJ and I would love to pray for you that you would know God's will for your life. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for everybody tuning in right now, and Lord, we pray that they would know. Your will for their life, and Lord, that they would be giving their lives over to your plan and your will for this world. Uh, Lord, uh, we ask that your will would be done in the midst of this virus, that we would come out of this in a new way, and Lord, that you would be with us as we pray without ceasing. And Lord, we give you thanks in all circumstances. And Father, if there are people in the grip of pornography or sexual immorality, that you would pull them out of that. And Lord, we pray that we would. Mm silence the critics who have anything negative to say about us and help us to be winsome witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, love you guys. See you soon.